This is the audio podcast for June the 18th, 2012. This is episode number 60, Well Within Midi Range. <laughs> Midi! Um, hello, everybody. My name is Samuel Freeman. And Scott, um, well, let's, let's do inter- introductions before I power in with the questions there. So, Hi, I'm Scott McLaughlin. And I am Adam Yanch. And I'm Scott Hewitt. So, Scott Hewitt, why is that the title? Just for fun. Okay. Is, is it purely just following on from last week's Will Me Do You Ever Die? No, it, it was more um, after ha- having put all the show notes together, spent the day thoughting about a title and having failed to find a title, I just dipped into my bag of titles that might be fun in for the future selection. I can just picture you actually having a bag full of pieces of paper that have titles on that you've come up with. Oh, it's just such a great picture. (laughs) The audio podcast title bag. So, anyway, shall shall we get on with the show? Rack Extensions Exists is one of the stories for today, although at the top of there we've got one in particular, which is the Ozone Maximizer. Is that the... Which... uh, We could just talk about the Ozone Maximizer. That's where we're at. That's at the top of the show notes. Oh, man, it's all gone crazy. It's all... (laughs) Oh, there goes the new structure, Scott. Hey. No, it wasn't, it wasn't a new structure. I felt the opening was stronger, you know. Yeah, maybe. And this is quite okay. Let let's get it going. Let's get it sorted out. Okay. So first up here, um, Isotope have released a new uh, oxo- uh, the new a new version of Ozone Maximizer as a rack extension for Reason, and we talked about the Reason rack extensions last uh, two shows ago, um, and they're yeah, well. kind of launch. And um, here, here's one of the Isotope, um, you know, sent, sent us an email about this release that we put on here. Um, the thing that I really loved about it, obviously you can have comparison audio to listen to in kind of in-depth, sensible reviews are available on their website. Uh, the things that I picked up on obviously was the existence of the Intelligent Release Control Limiter. Um, I think there should Woo! be the word system added to the end of that. That'd be awesome if it was a system. Um, mm-hmm. And then... You know, the fact that we're low latency limiting modes, but I'm not really aware that latency and limiting modes is a particular, uh, you know, is that a particular issue for most people nowadays? Well, maybe someone like Alex Harker would be able to tell us the answer to that because it might be something really sciencey and really geeky, you know. But uh, unfortunately, he's not with us. But if you think in a kind of reason-esque environment, you know, low latency on kind of you know, processing isn't isn't particularly an issue because you know it's generating the audio and then processing the audio. So it just seemed to me a bit of a kind of a bit of blurb that didn't really mean anything, which I liked that there. So, but anyway, it is of course, available. It, which is it could be interesting though if it's something that people can subvert and undermine. Maybe it gives you another opportunity. To, I can't really see how, but creating some sort of latency drag in the sound. It, it could be it could be something you could have fun with. Yeah, you, you're shaking your head. You're not buying that. <laughs> no. I don't think people have fun with limiters. Oh, you could have fun with this one, actually. We, we, this is a well, this one has fun. It's a fun limiter. Well, then they should say that. Rather than say low-latency limiting mode, it should say low-latency super fun limiting mode. That would be better. Yeah, you're right, though. Low-latency is generally a buzzword for here's something we would like to throw in to make it sound important. Hewlett, how are you not working for the promotions department at Isotope? I just, I just don't know. No idea. It, it's a mystery to uh, everybody I would suggest. Hmm. Maybe mm. not. 
Yeah. So there we go. Anyway, um, reason, reason. We have another reason story later on, but let's get to it. We're going in order. I'm going in order this week. Okay. Going in order this week. <laughs> okay, commit. Commit to the order. We're committed to the order, okay? So um, the, the next one, this is um, Roland. We, after, after failing to pick up on the Boss Looping World Championship, we have successfully picked up on the Roland's V-Drum equivalent contest. Yay! Let's very happy wow. about that. Um, one man applause. How sad. One man applause. That's fantastic. So obviously you have a great opportunity to to win a a Roland V drum pro kit, which is pretty well, which is something you could win if you wanted to. Um, and <laughs> well, well, I I'm not a drummer. I don't I don't want a drum kit. I'm not a drummer. That's a beautiful neutrality of description there. I know. Uh, Scott, Scott, tell us more about the competition. How does one win such a drum kit? You win by sending a video of yourself. Playing, and you need playing to get anything, or do you have to be playing August. the drum? Do you have to be playing the drum? Do you have or? to be playing a Roland drum kit? I didn't really. Could I be playing Sabutio? Just thought I'd mention it. I'd, I think if you send a video of you playing Sabutio, Adam, they'll probably treat that with the right level of respect. I thought you were going to say contempt. <laughs> Adam, could you, play, could you play V Sabutio? Ooh, uh, virtual Sabutio. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't see how that's any fun. <laughs> that would that would Your really players have 127 levels of movement. Is that where I flick the top of an iPhone screen and something happens and and I win? Way. <laughs> now, as as is um as is compulsory with these kind of things, it's important to have some sort of YouTube promotion video to support your uh, your contest launch. In this situation, I have to report that Roland have not failed in the slightest, and it is a absolute beauty. Now, unfortunately, we we can't really play it, but it is in our show notes at um, the audio podcast at UK, and um, you can go check it out if you want to. But it's worth checking out. It's a pretty spectacular video. Um, I really like it. Have you guys watched it? Did everybody watch it? I didn't watch it. Oh, <laughs> it's like this like heady mix of the national anthem with some sort of outrageous dubstep drumming element in the background. Oh, it's just it's just spectacular. Does that mean oh, that well, guy's already? I won? will be watching that later. Oh, it's it's worth watching. It's definitely worth watching. I'd in terms of entering this thing, it should be noted that the um, semi-finals are to be held in America. It, it, they've got eight eight cities listed, but they're all in the US, and that's in September. So, you know, that is some sensible information there, Sam. Thank you very much. That's good. Awesome. It's awesome. for an American listenership. Our listenership is fifty-fifty split across the transatlantic at the moment. So you know, cool. Hello to those yeah. people. I don't think they're watching us live though, but still, hello when they watch us. Now, um, I'd like to just jump in here and remind all of our listeners uh, of the audio podcast website, wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk, where you can see all of today's news, and you can see this Roland V-Drums video that Scott has just mentioned. Um, uh, the reason I just jumped in like that is because Scott told us to do that. It was his other little linking <laughs> device. Was Adam... Adam, am I failed. supposed to? Am failed. I supposed to? Am I supposed to? The website's moved. We're now at just the audio podcast. Oh, wow. UK because Crikey. it moved across to the um the the WordPress format rather That's than amazing. the wiki format. That's so. amazing. I completely didn't realise. I'm so used to you guys saying wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk that I said that. So strike that. It's at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. 
And uh, oh, this and is silky smooth tonight. This oh, is silky smooth. Oh, well, yeah. you, you know, you gave us something that we had to do, and we haven't um, had any practice. So I'm just getting some practice in, and I'm now going to link us to our next story, which is the Soundcraft Vizi Remote has been released, and I would like Scott Hewitt to tell us more about this. So um, this is uh, Soundcraft's um, iOS application, which allows you to control the um, SI and VI series mixers remotely, which pretty much everybody who makes a digital mixer has now released an equivalent of this kind of thing. You get the Alice 9 version, the Yamaha, and such like that. But something which, was, which they took great pains to mention, which I think is really cool, is that this application is built with a model of many-to-many -many in mind. So you can run multiple iPads with this app, controlling a mixer or have multiple multiple remotes controlling multiple mixers and it all works together in a kind of in a kind of big mesh so rather than it being a one one iPad to one device it actually does lots to lots which a, I a think big has a gumbo. lot of really creative uses there a big gumbo of digital mixery and messagery sounds sounds fun I have to pass on to someone else now, sorry. <laughs> well, this is It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see when... Oh, God. Sam, you speak. Oh, okay. You're, you're sounding far more interesting. You said interesting twice. I was just going to read some more information, which is that it's compatible with the SI Compact Series version 2.2 software available for download, etc., etc. I might have been more imaginative than that, but here we go. It's, it's gold tonight, everybody. This is great stuff. <laughs> Well, what's going to be interesting is when we see the comparisons start to come out. Because now we've got, as, as Scott pointed out, two or three of these on the market. When are, when are we going to see the comparisons? Is, are they going to have different functionality? Because it's just many to many things. raises the game a little bit on this, but it would be interesting to see how it fares in actual uh, use compared to the other ones that we've, we've talked about before. Well, I would suggest that seeing as these mixing desks are likely to be quite expensive, and lots of people already have them, you will probably end up, well, you'll have to end up downloading the app that goes with your mixer. Would people think so much about the app over the structure of the mixing desk and how the mixing desk works, do you think? I would definitely consider, if I was going to be buying a new digital mixer, then I would look at the software which goes with them as a as something to consider when deciding what to go for, if that makes sense. And that I think makes the mini perfect sense. And I think um, you've got to remember that a lot of people in the professional space are probably renewing on a kind of every other year or even a yearly basis. So on on that kind of approach, you know, it's likely to be a criteria quite quickly. Um, if if they've been in a situation where they've had two iPads and tried to, you know, try to drive an LS9 at the same time and manage to kill it dead, then they might well be, you know. That's something they might well be kind of particularly targeting at or thinking about using. I think there's a whole load of really great kind of solutions available from this now. In the way that you could potentially look to, um, you know, run multiple, you know, multiple engineers could work at the same time using different iPads to achieve, you know, different things. So have one person doing the monitor mix on the stage, the other, the front of house guy maybe just having a stroll around and kind of tidying parts of the EQ up and things like that. And I think that kind of functionality would be really powerful in a kind of larger, in a larger kind of auditorium or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's my opinion anyway. Changing the face of digital live mixing. Well, it, it changes the paradigm of the mixing desk, doesn't it? Which 
is interesting. I'm saying faders on a faders on a kind of computer screen have always been pretty awful. Faders on a kind of touch interface are pretty poor, really. Do we think it's going to go? You know, I mean, like I, I think there's a space for a new interface kind of to be, to exist, perhaps in this kind of situation, maybe. I think you're right. I think that the paradigm is changing, and they're still trying to embed it into the previous paradigm. But it'll take a while before it goes that way. Uh, Scott, have you had much experience with the soft, the soft faders in this way? Um, I've I've worked with a couple of LS nines, um, yeah, our LS nines in that sort of way, and found it's it's really nice for a kind of slight alteration. It's kind of nice, but the minute it was kind of bizarre because the the minute I the minute I wanted more than a couple of little things done, I realized that I could just start shouting to the person at the desk, and that was much quicker. Cause it, sure. It just was, because obviously they had every, all the controls right in front of them just to go reach, whereas I was like trying to find them and flicking through them. and you know, Yeah, but, but of course, that's, that's a fluency issue. That's not a problem with the actual thing. That's, that's just a lot. You know, it, it was relatively new to you. If you'd had another three weeks of it, that wouldn't have been a problem. Well, it could be a, a usability issue. I mean, it's hard to say where the issue be. is because it could. Scott's problem was that he couldn't use it properly, and, it, and it's partially because he didn't know it, but also how how good or bad is the interface, and how useful is the interface in that scenario? Maybe it would never be learned properly, or something like that. Well, that's with, also possible. Because we have a digital mixer, you've already got multiple layers of stuff going on behind the physical interface, and then when you take all of that onto a even smaller physical space, then you're going to have less stuff accessible to you out of everything which is there inside the box. So, and what happens if you make a mistake and you know accidentally swipe and it changes all the levels of all the faders or something like that? I mean, it's it's a difficult thing. I I for one still feel that the the touch interface is a bit still a bit clumsy, and I'm not sure if there's really going to be a way of making it really really precise like we're used to with a mouse and a keyboard or with faders and, and knobs and dials and stuffs. But that that's my that's my personal opinion. Um it's it's useful yeah, yeah, to come in though. It's it's still a useful thing to to have for certain scenarios I imagine. I don't know, I'm not really a live mixing engineer, so I'm just spouting off randomness. That's very interesting, actually. And um, I, I was reading, I, I was reading an interview with, uh, rereading an interview with Steve Jobs from a while, from you know, from obviously quite a while ago now. And it, it was something that was interesting that was drawn out of the interview was the fact that when they released the original iPad, it came with a, th there was a keyboard accessory released immediately as well because of for those very reasons there was, you know, nobody really wants to type on the touch interface, so they better have a keyboard that they can interact with instead. And I think that's interesting how. You know, people have viewed the touch interface as the rejection of everything else. When in fact, you know, even in that context, Apple were like, "Well, they still probably want a keyboard." Well, we we all know that the at the moment the touch screen interface and things like the iPad are not going to replace the tools that we use day to day to do what we need to do because the iPad just cannot do it. It's not really quite there, and it's hard to see how without actually plugging in a box that allows you to do it, um, it it's hard to see how the uh, iPad can overcome that I see Siri as being a kind of way of not having to interact with the keyboard and, and bypass that but again Siri has its problems and it's not going to be usable in a live uh, 
a live mixing environment really is there because there's all this other noise going on so anyway think, let's yeah. see how it goes but this is also going down to the basic question of, of uh, interfaces and functionality certain functionality is better supported by certain interfaces and I think Scott's dead right and well everyone's dead right that perhaps a soft screen is not the best interface for this kind of thing what I we really need is some kind of neural connection that instantly interprets what we want it to sound like and just fixes it that would be amazing think awesome yeah is, is that the think new amazing. apple that's the new apple slogan think awesome just it's just think not think I, i've already think. patented the i've already patented the the term i think I think you'll find that uh, IBM and Lenovo. Uh, hey, hey! You just said I think. You just ago. said I think. Hang on a minute. Hang on. Didn't didn't Descartes have that one? I think it's an. It's an <laughs> that was in French. Oh. Totally different language. Doesn't count. <laughs> I think. I think I will have to bus us onto the next one because you guys aren't doing it. So uh, Turbo Sound joins Music Group. Um, I have no idea what that means. I guess it's a conglomeration of companies coming together or one company joining, joining another conglomeration of companies. So Turbo Sound is a, a UK-based um, UK loudspeaker, loudspeaker manufacturer in the kind of professional space and they have been bought up by Music Group. Now uh, you may not, I suspect most people probably won't know who Music Group are, but Music Group are the company who own Behringer. So, um, Do they own a chain of uh, music tech shops as well in the UK, or is am I uh, wrong? Am I off uh, on the wrong track? I, I possibly, possibly, because the the name rings a rings a bell. It's quite a vague name, isn't it? Music Group. Not the kind they of thing own, you can um, Google they own and Midas. find out what's going on straight away, is it? They they own a Midas, Clark, Technic, um, a lot alongside with Behringer. So now, okay, here's one to throw in. So. Behringer recently released something and was making use of some uh, intellectual property that they'd bought from another company. Do you think that this purchase might be something to allow Behringer to improve the quality of their speakers and release kind of low-cost but better quality speakers? Yes, probably. I'm saying certainly when you know a company takes ownership of another company, they're going to be able to reach into their kind of intellectual property and their kind of licensing and engineering know-how and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure we're going to see something. Um, what, what I find interesting about Music Group is the way that the most well-known of its properties, Behringer in this case, is pro I would suggest isn't particularly well-regarded by most people, whereas somebody like Midas is obviously incredibly well-known, very well-regarded, and Turbo, you know, Turbo Sound are known for exceptional quality speakers. So. Uh, Midas, do they do control uh, controller interfaces? Or is yes, that something I else? Yeah, I, I wonder if it's a controller box. And I, I read a review in Sound on Sound, and they said the new because there's a new Behringer mixing uh, digital mixing desk coming out soon, so maybe that will raise the bar. We'll see because they've got these new technologies coming in from these other companies that have been brought into the group. Anyway, I, I'm sure we'll cover that in a future episode of the audio podcast. So um, a story that I didn't put in here, but I'll segue us across, is that you can get a free uh, BMC2 monitor control with any Dynaudio speakers. Yeah, I can uh, put this that in. Is, um, that's at uh, the Digital Village. That's right, dv247.com. So th that is a chain of shops in the UK. And they 
are giving this away. So if you're going to spend a grand or two on a pair of um, active monitors, then you can get this D2A converter for free, which would cost you £500 on its own or more. So that seems that's like cool. a good deal if you're, you're in the region shopping to, to shell out two grand on some speakers. That sounds good. I think two grand was the. I think it's between one and two grand. The three, the three models that are. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, of of the four of us, I'm the one who lives closest to a digital village. I live about one and a half to two miles away from the Bristol outlet, which is just over there. Uh, that's not going to help anyone because you don't know which direction I'm sitting. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have one to two grand to spend, so uh, I'm not going to be taking up that offer. <laughs> That's a fantastic. I'd like to point out to our listeners that they can kind of maybe make out the setting sun casting a shadow on the on the wall behind Adam. So perhaps they could uh, <laughs> look okay. where where he is. Perhaps. <laughs> well, I mean, the, okay. So the window is in this direction. So that's where the light is coming into the room. That's all I can tell you. A prize for anyone who can paintball Adam Yanch before the end of the show. <laughs> You'll have a good uh, a task doing that. I've got one window open, but uh, it's a narrow angle. It's a narrow angle. Anyway. Our listeners are ninjas. Ninjas. Anyways, no, let's no, talk about... Ah, we're all stepping <laughs> on. on each other's. No, you go, because I've already done two, yeah. so you go. All right. Well, I was just going to talk about the very nice walnut monome. It's got wood. It's got monome. It looks really pretty. You just said got wood, ha ha ha. Um, so, uh, so now, one of them producing 50 new units of the, each of the um, 256 and 128 models of their little button boxes, and further along the line to come, there will be um, new arcs made in the same walnut wood. So, I think you can already order the monomes, but the arc are not available for ordering yet. And do we know how much? I mean, they presumably are, this doesn't affect the functionality in any way. This is just very beautiful looking, and they continue to make beautiful work. That's it. And uh, do we know how much they are? Yes. Um, so the Monome One Twenty Eight is eight hundred dollars, and the Monome Two Fifty Six is fourteen hundred dollars. That's a lot of money. But anything between twenty to one hundred dollars for shipping. Is anybody else amazed at the fact that they managed to keep on going? Because, like, I've, I've seen a Monome, I've seen an Arc, I think they're absolutely fantastic, I think they're, they're great interfaces, you know, they're, they're really cool, they look great, but there's various other people out there now making kind of competing thing, you know, competitive products, which are a fact they're cheaper, if not more than that. And I, I'm just amazed that they managed to keep on going. I think it's great that they do, but it just, just amazes me that they do that. Is it still well, possible? The, the marketplace in anything will always support one high-end operator, and even though it's arguable whether these monomes are any better or worse than any of the cheaper ones, but it's, I think this is pretty normal. The market will always have one or two expensive ones. Maybe one it'll fall at some point. But um, one thing is that monome <laughs> got there first. For that, can exactly, they, they have a kind of brand prestige. Though the the Yamaha Tenorion was kind of. Are released around the same time, but yeah, it was the same kind of time. Yeah, I think the Tenorium is it the was same earlier. Is, is it a different product? But it's a. It was a lot pl more plasticky. The uh, Tenorion. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, well, the Tenorion was very in. Um, I saw a demonstration of that one, one of the first in the country, actually. And it's um, and but it was such a closed device. It was here's things that you can do with it. And yes, in typical Yamaha fashion, they 
thought of about 20 things you could do with it, but it wasn't open. You couldn't do, you know, it wasn't a set of buttons you could repurpose for any use. It was buttons that are, already do things. And there were those kind of weird situations where they were like, oh, and you could like play on stage with it, but it had a headphone socket sticking out of it. So you, you know, plug it into your headphone cable, you know, those kind of things that just kind of compromised it, I think. But, yeah. I used the Tenorium recently and um, the SD card, an SD card for saving patterns and for loading sounds and stuff, but it only ac it only accepts up to one gigabyte on there because it's quite old technology. So a four gigabyte SD card didn't work on the Tenorium. Shocking, shocking. Now, um, one thing that our listeners will know is that we tend to try and do like one iOS thing a show. Although actually, of late it hasn't been happening like that. But I think it's it, just that it, it, it appeared that way because every week there would be an iOS story, and so we kind of joked that it was the case. But it's not deliberate. And in fact, this week's story is a deliberate attempt to um, bring back the Android. Maybe that's what you were going to say. Um, I've been effectively, I've been effectively scooped there. Well what? done, Sam. Well done. I only add a few things. I don't have anything to say about the stuff I haven't added. Um, <laughs> it's not entirely true. <laughs> um, I've said it. There we go. Um, this is a story at uh, which is published by the Echo Nest. And, um, well, as well as bringing up the, the topic of Android being not necessarily as easy to develop for as the iOS, that's something that comes up now and then, um, it also puts us directly to Smule, who have released their Magic Piano, which has been out for a long time on iOS, but is now available for Android as well. Yay! Now all we need is a decent Windows Phone 7 story, followed by a decent uh, BlackBerry story, and then we'll be complete. Well, no Symbian stories. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's a nice story said, isn't it? Well, no, no, and everything else. Which one? No, this is not. This is not a mobile phone operating system review feature. Okay. We're not doing that. We're not <laughs> doing that. Just want to. Just want to stop that right now. It is. Um, <laughs> I. I think it's. It, it's cool to see that Smule have kind of rolled this out. You know, kind of rolling stuff out into the Android space because it, it. I think it's fair to say that Android is a mess for kind of audio application development at the moment, or any sort of audio application work. It's just never been a priority, and. Um, and it, it's nice that, you know, one of the big competitors is trying in that space now. And, you know, I mean, hopefully that's going to provoke things to kind of develop and move on. Um, I guess one of the great features of Android, obviously, in this scenario is that it is possible to go and actually fix the problems yourself. So, you know, I mean, we could, you know, I wonder if we'll eventually see kind of Android phones being repurposed as kind of, you know, audio effects units or things like that. And those, those kind of purposes, perhaps. We'll see a, a real life kind of invigorated into the market. A Raspberry Pi would be cheaper, though. <laughs> yes, it, it would be cheaper, but the Raspberry Pi doesn't have an audio interface by standard, does it? You have to add that in for USB support, whereas your Android phone comes with a audio in and an audio out by standard. So, you know, Of sorts. I mean, this is something I was going to ask. For the iOS, there is now a plethora of peripherals, um, which will let you get audio and MIDI in, in and out, but... It do, uh, do similar things exist in hardware for Android? I, or I don't could, they be, could they be repurposed from Android I, or, and have new drivers and a new cable connected or something? 
They, they don't currently mm. exist on mass, I don't believe, but the support for them does exist. Um, Android has had a USB, USB kind of client-to-client -client support built into it for quite a long time. I think we actually covered that as a story. We did. We covered that as a story when it was rolled out, and I would say that was probably as far back as maybe 2.2 or something. As well, a, that's as that's a, the software architectures there, but the for in terms of hardware interfacing, it's not. Well, no, but remember, um, an Android phones don't have a proprietary connector at the bottom of them. They're it's a U it's a USB connector on the bottom of an Android phone. That's what it is. So, they they all have USB interfaces on them, whether they're you know mini SD or whether they're kind of little SATA ones or mini SATA ones. They're all so you could use that to connect to a a regular box like you'd plug into a computer, that kind of thing. You just need the driver for it. Yeah. So you would be able to do that. So I, I've, I've kind of wondered, part of the reason I'm holding on to all of my old Android phones is that I think there could be a real kind of, you know, I can kind of see this scenario happening where in a few years' time where maybe get the kind of audio application support into the, an, uh, into the Android world proper, and then you might well be able to backport that down onto the previous generations of phone and end up with a whole variety of and a little application spaces for that. Uh, Scott Hewitt there, uh, justifying why he's hoarding his Android phones. What he's not going to be hoarding is iOS devices. And you know what's not going to change that? The slash amplitude <laughs> iOS app. Smooth. <laughs> so um, as well as not being a drummer, I'm not a guitarist. So this is a, a fantastic story <laughs> to put on the audio podcast. Well, it's okay. What, what, what is it? Well, it's obviously a set of a guitar processing, um, guitar processing on an iOS device. Um, obviously, you need some sort of interface, so something like an iRig or something like that to get you in and out of it. Um, which you know, if you have, you have, and then you have the opportunity to get Slash's approved sounds <laughs> from from the device. Woo! I, I'm sure this will be a lot of fun for people who are into that. It's, it will be interesting to test it out. But uh, has anyone ever messed up one of these with an iRig? I, I played briefly with an iRig. I have not. It was it was easy to use and it was kind of yeah, it did what you would expect and it was kind of fun. And but, but coming back to the idea of the touch interface momentarily again, that was all. You know, you if you wanted to try and get an exact position on anything, it was almost impossible. So you you know you just had to kind of wiggle yeah. backwards and forwards and eventually you got something which was adequate or acceptable for what you were wanting to do. But yeah. I'm saying this kind of thing is cool. I mean, I, kind of I, was a, cool. I was a kid who grew, who grew up on stomp boxes and effect pedals. And while I can see there are uses to these, the, you just, the, the lack of physicality, I don't know, I, I find it problematic. But maybe that's just me saying I liked it better when I could touch things, which is arguing against what I was arguing against earlier. I know. I see your face, Jansh. Well, the, uh, the, the world... You know the world will be going crazy when you need a, a hardware box to plug into your iPad to get around the fact that it's got touchscreen. I think that'll be highly <laughs> ironic, and uh, maybe we should start developing that. Yeah, there's going to be a market for that. There, there but it, it just seems like it would be so much more interesting if they could come up with another way to represent these knobs that allows you to to get a, a an analog physicality. I don't mean analog as in non-digital. I mean analog as in similar to. Well, yes. The, like with these uh, things, you can't get down and, and squiggle and roll around with things. They go up, they go down. It's just, it lacks a lot of the, 
the performability that analog ones have. Well, the the problem is that dials are very hard to control on that kind of. sliders in reality when you, when you touch the knob you slide up and down to make it work do they actually uh, yeah, affect but, you to move your finger in a full circle it, it, the problem is it's the that's the better way to do it I think that's the way I'm used to it not going around in a circle yeah but you get such a small amount of space to actually do the the resolution's not very good basically up and, and actually down. to be honest yeah, it's probably not very good for a it's probably not very good for a slider either. It, as again, it goes back to what I was saying before about it not being precise, it being kind of clumsy and difficult to pinpoint exactly what you want. So I, I agree with the, the problem here is that the touch screen, it's not that the touch screen's no good for such things, it's that modeling physical stuff on it is not perhaps where it's going to come into its own. It's going to become most useful when people kind of change the paradigm and start using the touchscreen as a touchscreen and designing interfaces that don't exist in the physical world. Well, yes, that's true. Or using the touchscreen in a way where it doesn't matter, you don't have to be precise, where you can do a sweep with your finger across and it doesn't matter if you hit exact, you, you, like when you're mixing, you kind of need that precision. You need to say, okay, I want my fader to kind of stop right here and it's very annoying when it doesn't. Um, there's a really annoying thing. I'm just going to jump off non-audio, but as a, for an example, is it's actually no. I'm not going to do this example because it's not on a touch screen. It's actually on iPhoto on the Mac. So let's not do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you once you start actually kind of, as you say, Sam, changing the the thought and not actually thinking about modeling a knob or a slider, but actually creating some kind of control that actually works properly on the interface, then that's where it starts working. And I wonder if there are any examples of apps that do that, that think that way and are better for it. So um, move, moving from one set of uh, audio pressing, audio changing, modifying things with a touch interface to something without a touch interface, so maybe it's better. Well, I don't know. Uh, the propeller head uh, rack, rack, rack extension store has opened. Yeah, as I'm kind of trod on by the first story in the show, this is the, um, we've mentioned it a few times, but it's actually now open and available. So the Reason 6.5 free upgrade to registered users and um, or for Reason Essentials 1.5. Download the new version. I am, um, I, it's, it ships without the sound banks, which means that it's about half the download size as it would otherwise be. And yeah, it's there, it works. The shop's available. Every product that's in the shop is available as a 30-day free trial period. So you download it, it works for 30 days. Um, and that goes for everything. And yeah, I'm quite I'm quite excited about the whole thing. I was going I I'd planned to um plug in and demonstrate a couple of things today, but I had problems with computers not being where I thought they would be and stuff like that. So I think some during the week this week I might um I might record a screencast or something and put that up. Yeah. So 
Not another midweek audio podcast special. Mm-mm. Um, no. Bam, bam, bam. Maybe we'll just save it for next week or something. When you put it I can't keep it up. I'll help. I'm just listening now. I'm not even thinking. So uh, Midas um, have released their Pro One console, which is um, designed for the professional workspace. Um, the, the main feature of the Midas, the Midas Pro One is its portability. Um, so t- yeah, 24 preamps, 48 input channels, um, fully kind of network audio aware with uh, MADI options available as well. Um, and that is available now. Excellent. And you know what I've just been doing? I have just been putting in my diary the fact that Arturia's Mini Moog V is going to be downloadable for free on the 21st of June, which is in three days' time. So you better have listened to this by then. And uh, you should be able to go to the link, which is available at the audiopodcast.co.uk website, the, the show notes for show 60. And there's a link there, and you should be able to go and download the Mini Moog 5 or V for free on the 21st of June. And they even told you on the website you currently have two days, four hours, 19 minutes, and 51 seconds until opening. Sounds to me They're just counting like down. It sounds like a complete reason for them to just have fun and create a countdown timer for their website. That's all it is. Yeah. I think so. R- rumor has it that th- th- this is the end of a licensing deal that they've had to use the Moog name. So, oh. um, <laughs> so this will end so, fairly soon. But yeah, they'll, re- they'll, version, yeah. they'll reuse the code and just name it something different, I imagine, after this. The not Moog? Mini not Moog? Well, no, I a, think that'll be a bit too obvious. A cool yeah. feature of our new uh, of of the new website, though, is the fact that I've actually set it up so that it will release a reminder story that morning to remind everybody that they have the day to go and get this free download if they want to. So that's kind of cool. I thought that was nice. So we've uh, we've made it through the news section. We've made it through the incredibly imaginatively named other section. <laughs> oh, was that? <laughs> that that means. It's time <laughs> for plunder. Plunder. <laughs> so I think it's appropriate for me to introduce this to, to pick up this first one. So that Sure UK um, have released a whole set of interviews of people using their equipment, um, and kind of you know it's obviously a vendor. It's very vendor driven. You know it's all about why they're so great and things like that. But um, it, it's kind of interesting people talking. You know if you take away the kind of all of the commercial referencing all the way through it and just kind of talk hear about the things, you know, why they choose the dynamic or cardioid or those kind of recommendations and things. It's kind of interesting and there's a whole set of them. It's appropriate for me to do it as I have a very obviously positioned uh, SM58 in the middle of my shot here today. So I did that. I, I do not have an SM58. I have an, an AKG um, D65S. I got like three of them in a package for uh, like £100. But this was like... 12 years ago. So, uh, and you'll notice it has an on and off switch on it. Mm-hmm. There nice. we go. Sam, what are you using? Um, I'm on an Electro Voice RE20. I don't own it, as you can tell by the um, barcode. But it's <laughs> <laughs> Why? I'm sure that Scott Hewitt barcodes his own stuff. No, I don't. 
<laughs> I do not know. That, that is a beautiful mic though, Sam. That's actually one of my favorites. Uh, there's previous shows where we've recorded with them and they're really great fun to work with. I like those. Yeah. I've been using Scott McLaughlin. all kinds of things this week. Yeah. It's, it's Scott McLaughlin. Scott McLaughlin, I have suspicions. Sorry, Sam, my message. Tell us, about, tell us about your mic, Sam. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying it's, it's, it's not just, I mean, it's designed for broadcasting talking into, for talk for voice, but it, I've been using it on lots of different things and making up speakers and stuff this week. And it's, yep, it's very nice all around. McLaughlin, tell us which mic are you not using today? I'm not using any mic today, as well you know. I'm speaking directly to the internet. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. I, I don't know how you manage it. It's it's incredible. Though the quality needs to be improved. But I'm well, sure it's, it's being mediated it. by the by the, the microphone on the HP laptop. That's a dangerous angle. That's a very dangerous angle for your camera to be at. I'm sorry. <laughs> Scott Hewitt, I suddenly have two two copies of you on video. I I haven't put this on here, but it looks to me like a kind of patent for a speaker that was probably put out like over a hundred years ago. So who can give me a bit of detail about this final point? I can give you a bit of detail about this. Um, well, last week Excellent. we had the Museum the museum of Endangered Sounds last week. We plundered that and um, hopefully we'll hear more about, about that in the future. We've had some correspondence with the creators of that. Um, this week the museum is... Uh, oh no. This is, well, this is an... an uh, I've lost the link, never mind. Um, the particular item from the museum this week is the short story about loud speaker amplification. Uh, can we rewind and start again? I, I suppose that's possible in this format. Is it? It, it is actually. It is, it is actually possible. You may, you may begin again. <laughs> so, Sam, this week, so, send me the intro into it, it'd be fun. Why not? It's just start editing video for that. Okay, let's not bother. So that's the compressed air amplification <laughs> plunder story as massacred by uh, Sam Freeman in the vein of what has been a, uh, an, an exciting show 60 of the audio podcast, which we attempted to deliver in a more professional manner. And I think we've learned our lesson that if we concentrate on that too hard, we just plow into a wall at high speed as we've done spectacularly today. Don't worry though, we've, we've, I think from now on it's going to get better. It was, it's been okay, but I think we're going to get, I, I think we're going to work on it basically. We're going to get some practice and it's going to kick our bottom. <laughs> I was very close there, very close there. Sorry Scott. <laughs> so that's great stuff. Awesome. Well, cool. Um, let's say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. This has been the Audio Podcast, show number 60. Show notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Zoop. Boom.